You are listening to the Indie Echo Podcast, a showcase of independent music and the artists that make it. I'm Jordan, producer at High Five Music. Blonde Maze is a producer, singer, and songwriter who has already released a large catalog of her melodic and atmospheric electronic music, culminating in the release of her debut album, Something Familiar. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Your album, Something Familiar, is fantastic. So I'm really excited to talk to you. And how does it feel, first of all, just to have it out? Well, first of all, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, it feels really cathartic to have it out at this point. It was such a long time coming. At least it felt like a long time coming. I think Not All Flowers Bloom was the first one I released from the album. And that was, I'm pretty sure it was August of 2020. But yeah, it's, it's over a year now. It feels good to finally just have it out. And like, you know, I've been trying to hype it up for the past however long. And I finally get to share it with everybody and be like, this is what I've been holding on to. <laughs> I am from New Jersey initially, but I moved to New York in 2010. And I've been there since, although I was in England for a year between then. I grew up listening to a lot of like singer songwriter pop rock indie stuff very different from what i listen to now but i still have a great amount of respect for it i would say like i think the first band that i remember listening to a ton when i was a kid was third eye blind i was obsessed with them and i think my dad took me to my first concert which was bruce springsteen classic yeah so yeah a little different from what i what i listen to now but yeah and so how did you get into the more electronic realm it happened gradually but i i would say the big the big like oh awakening I don't know what to call it um, would be when I, around like 2013 when I was fish, finishing up college, I started listening to very like indie electronic music. I started listening to you know who I, Purity Ring. I started listening to Purity Ring a lot, and I think maybe through them I started discovering other similar artists um, in the more like indie electronic realm. I remember using. Um, Spotify's radio feature because back then it was not there were, it wasn't really like playlist centric it was it was the way you discovered music on Spotify if they had playlists I don't remember but radio was the way I discovered music on Spotify back then so I remember finding all these electronic tracks and going to their song radios and just like playing them on my like on my commutes into school and whatnot and um, yeah I just kind of fell in love with it and then I went to England um, the next year. And I actually started working for an indie electronic band's manager at that point. And I was exposed to so much of that kind of music and I just loved it. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is, I feel very comfortable with this. This is, I like this. This makes me feel something good. (laughs) Did writing music come later or is that something you had done since you were little? It's something I had done since I was little, but electronic writing electronic music was more around like 2015-ish. But like, when I was younger, I, I wrote, like I had like a guitar and I would sing these singer-songwriter angsty <laughs> uh, songs. I don't know, some rock. I remember I wrote like this little blues song. I was just experimenting a lot <laughs> growing up. I definitely, over the past few years, have, 
I've like found my sound. I've found the sound that I feel that I enjoy working with. I've worked a lot on my vocals over the past few years and I've kind of come up with like a formula on how I like to record them and produce them now, which is a lot different than, yeah, than before. And you can sense the consistency, especially in the last few years going through your, your catalog. Was it a lot of just trial and error, just finding out what works and what doesn't and what sounds you like? Yeah, 100%. It's literally just doing it, like getting out there and, and doing it, recording and then thinking, okay, this is my best work and then putting it out there and then hearing other things and learning like, oh, wow, like that sounds pristine compared to this song that I just released and whatever and like just kind of learning from that and you know, releasing the next batch of songs and being like, okay, this one's like a step up from the previous one. And just working like that and constantly trying to just learn because I enjoy learning it. So just constantly trying to improve myself and, you know, find a sound. And I feel like, I feel like I've found the sound, which is nice. And did you start on Logic? Um, yes. I mean, like I played around with GarageBand when I was younger, but... I remember I had I my singer-songwriter albums, I got it recorded by a sound engineer and he was using Logic to record. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Like, I want to do what he's doing. Like, forget my performance of singing a song. I want to do what he's doing. So I started doing like, you know, playing around with Logic myself. And from there, was it just a lot of YouTube tutorials and just- Definitely, definitely. A lot of YouTube tutorials, a lot of finding, you know, hearing something and trying to replicate it and whatever. And like, you know, honestly, I, th I don't think I'm ever going to stop doing that. Like, I think there, it, I'm a constant work in progress. It'll always be trial and error for me. I, I did take a course as well that, that was very helpful for like kind of getting over the hurdle of um, understanding nitty gritty aspects of it. For me with Ableton is similar, just the, the learning process never stops. Every now and then I'll see a YouTube video, you know, five Ableton tricks you should know. And I'm like, okay, what do you got? Sure enough, number three, I'm like, son of a bitch. What the? <laughs> <laughs> I could have been doing this for years. Exactly. Yeah. I'm a sucker yeah. for that. I always, like my YouTube, that is my YouTube recommended videos, basically for Logic. So did you always marry your production with your vocals or, or did that come separately? Yes. Yes, I always did. I consider myself a producer before I consider myself a singer. I enjoy producing more. I feel like I'm better at producing than I am, you know, with vocals. Although, I mean, I, I guess like over the past year, I guess I've determined what sound I want to make with my vocals. so that's kind of set now, but I've always enjoyed producing more um, in general than singing. I feel like I've always tried to incorporate my vocals on top of my production and then kind of use it as like almost like another instrument or almost like, you know, put effect on it, not have it just be like clean, raw vocals. Like, I don't like that for me. I kind of want it to be like its own sound, like unique sound within the track itself. And like, I, I actually ended up, I think the first instrumental I released was To The Moon. And that was like a big thing for me because I was like, you know, I can produce and I don't need to put my vocals on it. Like I can just make an instrumental and have that speak for itself kind of thing. It's so funny you say that because it's always been just like a personal preference of mine when you're listening or mixing music to make the voice just another instrument. Because I'll listen to some music sometimes and not even really recognize or understand the actual lyrics. Yeah. Like the vocal tones and, and everything else, it, it just... That's what really matters to me. Yeah, no, I agree. It just like makes you feel, it just makes me personally feel like more in a trance by this song when it's like that. So I, I guess the first track of yours that kind of blew up was your, your first collaboration with Adam, Anywhere. 
Yes, yes, that was awesome. Um, I can't even remember how... Maybe my old manager introduced me to him. I'm not even sure. We, we, ended, we somehow ended up with an email chain and sending demos back and forth, I guess. And I think I sent him this song that I was working on. Like, I literally, I remember recording the vocals like in my mom's closet because that was like, the quietest place in my like apartment in, in New York City. It was like this really rough demo. I sent it to him and he said he wanted to work on it. I was like, okay, cool. And he built, you know, the initial sort of like structure for the song around that demo. And we sent ideas back and forth. After we had the vocals done, we kind of sent ideas back and forth for, for production. And he did the final mix for the project. He had like the project file and I would like send him like little snippets of production and he put them in. And it was really great to work together because we were always on the same page. And I it ended up being on his EP, which was great because it was part of a bigger project for him. After that, I guess you started releasing pretty consistently with Enhanced. And in the dance music world, for those who don't know, Enhanced, at least to my ears, is like top tier. You got Black Hole and Juna Beats, all those guys. And I always follow Enhanced and Monster Cat and Silk, which is now part of Monster Cat. And Enhanced Chill is what you primarily release on, which is their subdivision. Yes. Uh, which is exactly what it sounds like, the more chill electronic side. And so how did you hook up with them? So when I was in England, after I finished college, I, it's where I, where I took a little sort of like music adventure. And I worked for, um, I worked for, actually, I, I just remember this. I worked for the beggars group for a little bit, um, which are like 4AD and XL and all those. And then one of the other jobs I had was interning for Enhanced. So I interned back when there were, there were literally, there were maybe three to four employees and two interns and I was one of the interns. Three to four employees that were like consistently in the office. I think there were like other people, but it was in this like one room. It was in the same building, I believe, that I was doing my, like my audio program in. And they didn't have Enhanced Chill back then. It was more, you know, progressive, house, kind of melodic, whatever. And then me and Will, who's the director of the label, Will Holland, uh, we kept in touch and we saw each other like once or twice over the years. When they started Enhanced Chill, it was kind of the perfect opportunity to work together as an artist and label relationship after having interned there back in 2014. Um, so it kind of came full circle. Did they know you made music or just kind of sprung on them? You know, oh, I check out this one. Yeah, no, they, they knew I made music, but it was... <laughs> hey, by the way, no, they, they knew I made music, but it was never anything that, you know, their other labels, never in the vein of anything of their, of their other sub labels, you know, which is why when Enhanced Chill was founded, it was like, okay, this is, this is a good opportunity to work together and like build something here. You released a number of singles and EPs, but what made you decide now's the time for an album and 
these are the songs that are going to be on. I think I was ready for a bigger project and a bigger story. I don't know what sort of triggered the idea. Like, I, I don't even remember when, why we started talking about doing that, but I was talking with Enhance, the Enhance team, and we just kind of got onto the topic of working together on something bigger. And I thought, you know, since I have, they're, they're, they're great, they're amazing at what they do. And I thought since I have a team like this behind me, I mean, kind of the perfect time to try that out. So I decided I had like a bunch of songs that I had kind of started, but like some of them were, some of them were older, some of them were newer. They were all just like little piecemeal of sounds. And I kind of sat down and went through my files and I was like, okay, what am I going to build here? And I remember putting this whole playlist together and listening through and being like, okay, I think these tracks share the same sort of theme and like, it's kind of what I feel, they're in my mental space right now and what I want to work on right now. And um, I think people will be able to relate to them. And so I sort of sat down and, you know, determined, okay, these are what I'm going to put on the album and tell a story. And by that point, you had you know, definitely developed your sound, the, the proper Blonde Maze sound. But was there something different or something you had to learn in terms of putting an album together and making it all sound consistent? I feel like there was a lot of technical uh, knowledge that I gained prior to the album. I just geeked out a lot online. And... I think it kind of allowed me to harness a specific sound. Even going back into old project files that I had just started, I felt like I knew what direction I wanted to go in with the Blonde Maze project. And whether it was a newer file or an older file, I felt like I could go in and take whatever was there and work with it to make it sound consistent. I want to compliment you on the the aesthetic. Both the literal album cover kind of matches the, the feeling I get from the the songs itself, like this very cold, wintry night vibe. Is that what you're going for? Thank you. Okay. Yes, 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 absolutely. I wanted something that was like, kind of like nighttime, wintry, autumn kind of feel. Cause I feel like that's like the coziest kind of time to like listen up, like get bundled up and listen to a track and feel like all, you know, feel all the warmth and whatever. I had this very specific idea of what I wanted it to look like. And I was working with this artist that Enhanced hooked me up with. And she was so great at just sort of, you know, putting my visualizations into the graphic design and sort of like, you know, coming up with little things as well to add to it and make it cohesive and pop. And you're releasing it right at the right time, I guess, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of electronic music, especially the more dancey stuff, is more summer focused, you know, summer nights and Ibiza and all those things. Yeah. So that, that's cool to have the, the winter alternative. Yeah. There are a couple ones on the album that I think are like more summer songs and winter songs, but I think as a whole, the album is like a more of a cold weather kind of album. And like, I know, like, even with the art, the enhanced team, they were very good at creative direction for the album. So sitting down and sort of discussing like what direction we want to go in and what kind of sound we want, what kind of imagery do we want, etc, etc. And appropriately, you start the album with the title track, Something Familiar, which starts with wintry bells. Yes. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but yeah. And so how did that one come about? And was that the title track going into it? For a while, it had been what I wanted the title track to be. I didn't commit to it till the end. 
I kind of wanted to get all of the songs in, you know, a specific order. I wanted to get all the songs finished in a specific order and listen through and be like, okay, is this, am I good with this? And yes, in the end I was. But um, I think the whole concept of the album is like changing and growing and wanting, always wanting to go back to something familiar for, as a source of comfort. I don't even remember when I started the song, but I, I just know that I started wanting to make it feel like a little like warmer and maybe have like a little bit of a nostalgic vibe. And then I wanted the lyrics to convey like, I miss the familiarity that provided comfort in my life as I change and grow and whatever. So yeah, and that kind of became a theme of the album. Over the past few years, a lot has changed in my life and it's been opportunity to grow and, you know, become more myself and, and whatever, but it's always kind of, sometimes change and growth is kind of scary. At least for me, I'm, I'm very, I'm very scared of change and growth, but it's good. It's a good thing. And, you know, when I feel those kind of scary feelings, it's like, I just want to go back to something familiar, something that I'm so used to and like regular routine and whatever, but also accepting that I will create new things that become familiar. I wanted to go to Diamond Eyes, which is, I guess, well, one of the first more dancey ones on the album. And uh, you do a thing, which you do a few times in the album, but it, it gets me every time where you drop the one at, in one of the phrases. Oh, yeah. I don't know why, it just gets me. <laughs> no specific sort of it's not like I was like pining for anybody in particular or anything but I kind of took the feelings that I had and in the past and kind of like meshed them into one and I was like okay I feel like really nostalgic I feel like I'm really missing somebody but I'm not actually missing somebody it's 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 very it's a very like I guess the best way I could describe it is nostalgic feeling and I kind of felt like all of the past emotion and, you know, sadness and moving on that I've had to deal with, I kind of took that and tried to make it into this sort of song where I'm making it clear that I just want like one more day with somebody kind of thing. I just want that one more and then, and then I'll move on. <laughs> I remember that's like kind of what, well, like with the dropping the one, like I was kind of like, okay, I want it to be like, I want it to be this big, I want it to sort of like gradually build up, be like, you know, when you're first thinking about you're missing somebody, it's like you're missing them, missing them. And then it kind of like gradually snowballs into this huge like obsession of I need one more day with them. And then that's why it's like into the into the drop. And yeah, if I could is one of my favorites. The chorus in that one, I can just picture people just like singing it out at a concert or something. So is that did you write that with like a live environment in mind at all? Oh, I totally did. I remember I sent it to my family and I was like, do, do you, what do you guys think of this? And I think my brother said something like, oh my gosh, I, I can just like see people singing along with you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. That one I actually wrote from what I imagined was another person's perspective. 
um, singing to like me. <laughs> That's the only song on the album that I did that with. collaboration with Adam and was it a similar collaboration process with the going back and forth yeah yeah totally because it was gonna be on my album I sort of had the final you know final mix on my on my laptop but um you know he's he's such a he's such a talented guy he 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 made it very very easy to to work with you know his parts of the production which was a lot and he's very 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 um He's got a very consistent sound. He's got a very good ear. So, uh, yeah, it was it was it was basically a similar situation, but great as always to work with him. I'm a sucker for those those triplet plucks. It's just so simple, but you know, yeah. Back in the <laughs> the early Dead Mouse days, you know, because I was I was a trance guy for so long, but Dead Mouse I think was the one that brought me down in terms of speed and and, and mood. And just ever since then, I've loved the whether well, eighth, eighth note or triplet plucks. Either one just does it for me every time. Yeah, I I remember he. When I sent the song to him initially, the demo to him initially, it was like, it wasn't that, it was just like, you know, four bar chords, whatever. And he sent back, and what he's, I think what he sent back wasn't the final chords that we used, but he sent back those sort of like, you know, triplet chords. And I just remember being like, yeah, this really, this is, this is awesome. Like, this is a, that's a good call. Good call, Adam. <laughs> and um, we kind of like rearranged some of the chords throughout the song, throughout the song making process, but um, they were definitely like the main part of the of the song for sure. And Blue Sweater is, that's probably one of the more summery ones you were talking about, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's funny because it's about a sweater, which is like winter, but I, it, the, the kind of the sound of it is more like upbeat kind of. It's more of a, a deep house kind of bass going on. Yeah, it's like bass driven and yeah. <laughs>
Was that something new for you? The bass as a lead, so to speak? Uh, yeah. I remember when I first wrote this song, it, it, it didn't have that. It had like a normal, the kind of leads that I typically have, you know, some sort of like plucky synth, melodic, whatever, atmospheric sounding synth. But, um, I don't know what got into me, but I was like, no, I'm like, I'm kind of grooving to this. Like, I kind of want to make it a little different than I'm used to. And almost like a challenge for myself, but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed doing it. I think it was able to like blend the kind of sound that I usually do with that sort of like more bass driven sound and yeah. Being pulled is another one that's on the, I guess, clubbier side, because yeah, I really like the lead in that one. That's a cool one. Thank you. I I went through so many iterations of that lead, so many iterations. And then sometimes when I'm listening to it, I'll, I'll be like, I'll, I'll think that the one of the previous leads is coming up and then it's the current, and obviously it's the current one that comes up and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, no, yeah, 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 I remember. <laughs> are tough because you want it to sound cool but you don't want to sound cheesy and there's a fine line sometimes i usually have like a few presets that i create the lead on initially because i'm like i know i like the sound so i want to create the melody once i create the melody i kind of experiment with different you know presets and tweaking little things here and there and what synth usually use oh yeah um we'll see it's definitely serum 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 is is I would say probably every single track on the album has a probably at least like three <laughs> different uh, serum tracks. Um, I've been using these VST pianos that I really like. One is called like Imajaro or something. My, my friend Alex Baker introduced me to that. Um, and then there's like these, this company called Fracture Sounds that samples pianos and they can be used in contact. And I've been using a lot of those too. Um, I use Nexus a lot as well. And there's one called Diva that I use. I think it's a, a Yu, Yuhi, Yuhi company. I don't know how to pronounce it. I experiment a lot. I'm using a lot more uh, Spire recently, at least for recent projects. I've never used Spire. I only recently got um, Silenth. I had been holding out on that for so long and I think like a couple of the tracks towards the end of the album. Yeah, that's still on my list. I have to wait for the Christmas sale or something. Yeah. But Spire I find is good for trance and like retro kind of sounds. And of course a lot of the Spitfire stuff, not just labs, but uh, some of their originals I like too, the strings and stuff. That's, yeah, that's another sort of company that I've, I've been meaning to check out. I have a couple of isotope plugins that I've recently been experimenting with, like on top of these instruments. Sometimes I'm just like, why did I wait so long to get some of these things? Because <laughs> the deals have come around and I just don't take them. And I'm just like, huh. Yeah, this Black Friday especially, I'll, I'll be looking out for things. What's an underrated plugin that you can't live without? Like maybe it's an EQ or something, you know? I don't know of any underrated EQs, but the one that I can't live without is the Fat Filter one. That has changed my my whole entire mixing 
being able to tweak the way that you can tweak with it and you know using mid-side EQ and all that stuff. That's one that I see like every tutorial I look up uses that but I still don't have it yet so that'll be on the Christmas list. Christmas list yeah Black Friday. Yeah and what about an expensive plugin that's totally worth it? There's one that a friend showed me recently I think it's called Gullfoss and I think it's an adaptive EQ and if you put it on your mastering chain on your master chain it, it makes the world's difference but I remember it was it was an expensive one. To the Moon is the first track of yours I remember hearing. It was the second one I released with Enhanced and my first instrumental. Oh, you know what? It wasn't my first instrumental. I, I was wrong. The Kite was my first instrumental. To the Moon was my, my second one. And like It was one of my favorites that I ever wrote. Close the album with This Is Goodbye. And I think a closing track on an album is just as important as the opener, especially the last three seconds. It's very, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's a very apropos ending track. But before that, did you go into it saying this is going to be the ending track or did you just have the sitting around? This might be a good to end one on. When I first started the, that track, it was just way pre-album. I had it sitting around and it wasn't anything what it is now, but like the bare, you know, the bare backbone for the track was just sitting around. And I don't know what made me think, wow, okay, this this is going to be a good closer. I kind of had to break it down and then rebuild it up. But I was like, if I could build this up to be kind of something that goes out with a bang, but is also like has that nostalgic feel again and whatever, that would work perfect as a closing track. So at some point when I was right, when I was like working on multiple tracks at one time for the album, I was like, this one should probably be the closing track. idea for ending it with AOL man I don't know it came to me one day just, like, just a little cheeky idea yeah, yeah. I was like I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be cheeky here and also another thing that I thought of when I was doing it was that's something nostalgic and something familiar to people I thought okay well that kind of like really makes it ties it together perfect yeah yeah and what would you say is the, the hardest part of putting the album together I think it was when I, ha when I was working on the bulk of the songs, kind of prioritizing which tracks to, to finish first, because I was excited to work on all of them and it was kind of hard to sort of delegate what needed what. Towards the end, it was like, okay, I have like, let's say three songs left. Okay, I'm gonna finish this one and then finish this one and then finish this one. But before that, it was kind of a mishmash of like, I'm not sure which ones to sort of tackle first. And that was probably the biggest challenge for me. And you definitely have the Blonde Bay sound down. But if you were to explore different genres in the future, do you have any that you would like to try? Maybe more like melodic house, kind of. Like a like a Yado, Spencer Brown. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love that stuff. You reflect some of that in your Sirius XM mix. Is that the kind of vibe you're going for? Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's like, I, I find myself introducing elements from certain, like like that genre, that subgenre or whatever, into my tracks, but I never fully commit to that genre itself. But I kind of like it that way. I kind of like making a new, kind of a new direction of sound by combining, you know, little elements from. What's a live performance like for you? So I used to play live, but um, when COVID hit, I stopped playing live. And now that I have the album out, I'm rebuilding my whole set. So I'm not playing live yet again, but I will soon. It's something I'm actively working on. Um, But besides that, I have DJed a couple times. I enjoy it, but I love being able to perform live and push buttons and all that stuff. You know, like hit drum pads and whatever. That's a whole side of my story I just glossed over for some reason. That whole time I was from high school to college just DJing a whole bunch. That's actually how I got into Ableton. It's because BT, he was one of the first like big ones to use Ableton live, like the looping and live remixing and things like that. And so I got into Ableton that way. And the biggest thing I ever did was uh, I got to open for Macklemore. Oh, wow. At my university. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. When was that? 2012, 2013. It was like at, at peak thrift shop. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. What does your live setup look like? I have a launch pad, Novation launch pad. Um, I have a tractor i think it's like i think it's f1 alesis sample pad which is what i use the you know the drumming oh and i have a little you know um vocal effects pedal and i sing live and then i also program the controllers to you know play different sounds so that i can play those live as well it feels so far so long ago since i played my last show but i used to play a lot like i, I think i played the last one I played might have been Music Hall of Williamsburg, which is like a, a Brooklyn venue. But before that, I did New York City Pride Fest. I did South by Southwest. And it feels like so, it feels like forever ago. I'm just, I'm excited to do it again. What would you say is one of the career highlights of yours so far? I would say one of the biggest ones is having my song in Hulu's show, Love, Victor. Oh. That was a big milestone for me. Another one is probably south by southwest that was that was really cool to play um i had really wanted to play for a couple years and first time i went i got to play (laughs) i've never been but i've heard that's a fun one austin's great who's an artist you're recently into that more people should take note of okay i'm going to list a couple alex baker i mentioned him before he he actually is in new york with me um his stuff is so good it is so chill and hopefully we'll be working on something together soon too. And then I just discovered CRI. I don't know if you pronounce CRI or cry or whatever, but I think he's a French producer. I listened to his stuff a lot in the past like few weeks. Do you have any kind of like short-term goals? I'm at this point where I'm in this growth stage and I wanna keep that up. In order to do so, I wanna keep releasing music. Working right now on, on a remix EP for the album. So that's coming next, eventually. Nothing is set yet, set in stone, but that will be coming next. And then after that, I'll be releasing, you know, original music again. 
another short-term goal is that I want to be able to play live soon. So between, you know, those couple of things and playing and setting up my live show, it's going to take up a lot of my time over the next, you know, year. You have your solo stuff. You've done a few collabs as well, but are you pretty, pretty much focused on just being Blonde Maze or would you want to maybe produce for other artists? Or like, what if a, a pop act comes up and says, we want you to work on this song? Is that something you're interested in? I would absolutely produce for other artists if the opportunity felt right. It's hard to take on other projects right now just because I'm so busy with this stuff, but if the timing were right and you know, and a good opportunity came along. I'm so open. I'm so open to everything. So, yeah, that's totally something that I would do. Links to Blonde Maze's music and everything else can be found in the show notes. Indie Echo is a product of High Five Music, a digital production studio that brings your bedroom demos to life. If you want your music produced, mixed, or remixed, visit the link on my Instagram at High Five Music, and you can follow the show at Indie Echo Podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.